Hey, canters, it's time for 30 minutes of unadulterated and uncensored shenanigans. Get ready to call HR because you're going to need sensitivity training after this. Gear up because it's going to hurt worse than writ training in July. Welcome to the Can Man Radio Show with your host, Jason Liska. Episode 3 of the Kanban Radio Show, coming to you from New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Lots going on this weekend. I'm sitting here with my uh, my partner in crime, my co-host, Mark Goldfeder. And we're going to be teaching this week, well, this weekend more specifically, for a small department uh, here in New Smyrna, Edgewater. They invited us in, and uh, they're going to give us an opportunity to share what we know about foundational leadership and the goals that we have set forth for their department. So get ready for the 30 minutes you're going to have with us for the Uncensored Shenanigans. It's the Kanban Radio Show. All right. Well, we're here. We are here. What are we doing? What are we doing? We're, we're here in New Smyrna Beach. And it's right next to the water. We Dude, really? Hence the beach part. No doubt. I are like it. on the beach beach. What are we doing on the beach? Do we deserve... We're two pasty white guys. Fat pasty white guys. <laughs> <in fact. laughs> we, are we wearing Speedos? Are we actually doing this? No banana hammocks. Oh, I mean, if we have to. I mean, I'm more of a boxer brief guy, but just saying. Whatever. Whatever the situation calls well, for. We're flexible. We're situational adapting. awareness is Absolutely. what you have to remember. So here we are. We're, we're teaching class number two of foundational leadership. With, what an exciting uh, opportunity it is. With the Cornerstone Group. I'm excited as well. I, I can't believe that uh, just what uh, what started uh, a matter of months ago is is come to fruition, turned into this. And, and you know, I'm really sad on one aspect because we're missing a big component of our uh, of We're our missing program. our third. Yeah, our third leg, we're, uh, we're Kevin missing, Schultz. Yeah, we're missing Stillenbox. We have to have Stillenbox here. But you know what? Deep down inside, I know Stillenbox is going to He's going to be with us hopefully in January when we actually do our program uh, for Fire Rescue East. So, That's... Kevin, don't don't forget you're you're not forgotten. No doubt. But speaking of still in box, he's got a lot going on up in Chicago right now, it seems. And, uh, you know, he's got the farm, so he's excited about that. And we're looking forward to seeing the outcome. He had chickens placed on the farm today. I saw the pictures today. You saw the chickens. I saw the chicks. Uh, we tried chickens. It didn't work very well for us. <laughs> I, you know what? I'll just leave that one go yeah. right there. We'll just let we'll let that. So one which ride. did come first, the chicken or the egg? Well, actually, I I could tell you she did. There you go. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> but anyway, oh now, shit. Miss, missing Kevin. He's got a whole another chapter starting, and yep. and and he was. He was hanging out with, uh, I don't know if you saw the picture of, uh, he was with Firefighter Chronicles, his buddy. Yeah, yeah he was with Jason Patton. He was with Jason Patton, yep. and, yep. and they had some great times, and, and what an awesome opportunity for them. Yeah, and you know what, I think it's uh, therapeutic in a sense to hang out with a guy like Jason. Because, you know, you, you could, uh, there, there's no way you could be angry around a guy with that personality. And, and here's the funny thing about it. I mean, you know, so many people have started following the Firefighter Chronicles. And yep. see what Jason's capable of doing. Yep. And I love his methodology and how he delivers the message in such a great message. And he does it with, with just his flair and his style. 
I can't imagine what he's like in real life. <laughs> I can tell you two things. One, he is just as large in personality and heart in real life. And and two, he is probably one of the most genuine people you'll ever meet uh, as far as firefighters go, as far as human beings go. And when he tells you he is committed to helping brothers and sisters recover from bad times in their life, you know, finding the good times through humor, through comedy and what we do in our profession, he is by far one of our greatest ambassadors and a shining star. And and I can't I just can't wait to meet him because of course you know Kevin has has the personal as well as the business relationship yep, with yep, him yep. and Kevin and and the two of us being you know forming this cornerstone group and and starting to take these steps on our journey together and I, honestly I cannot wait for the day to come when Cornerstone Group teams up with Firefighter Chronicles and we just do something together. Oh. Forget about it. He, he's down, trust me. He's always said, the next time I'm in South Florida, we'll do a video. But that's the thing. He's so close to us. He's so far away. But you know why he goes to Chicago so often, right? For you, Kevin, I would imagine. Well, not just Kevin, but Fire Department Coffee. Uh, yes, that absolutely. He's a, he's a business partner in that venture. So he's very involved in the development of that group, that organization, and, and what they're doing. And he just he's the kind of guy that will load up a box of coffee in a car. And he'll drive two, three hundred miles away and just start handing out coffee to firefighters. He'll just show up at a fire station in random and just hand them bags of coffee because that's just the kind of guy he is. And what a great piece of symbolism that is in the fire service. Because oh, anybody, you know, any of us that have been around a while, you know, we always used to talk. When were the best discussions? When were the best stories? When was the best family time of the brotherhood? Oh, absolutely. It was around the kitchen table. And, and you know, I had a lieutenant that we always used to joke around about because, you know, me and my New York style go, it's three o'clock, three o'clock coffee. We got to have our coffee time. Sure it wasn't bagels? They can't do bagels down here in, New <laughs> in Florida. I get it. But, you know, and, and, and it's awesome because, you know, but... And, and we joke around about the three o'clock coffee, but you, you, know, you come in in the morning and, and you have your, you know, you're sitting around with the guys getting passed down. You're having your morning coffee, talking yep. about what happened the previous yep. day. You know, you're getting down to three o'clock and near the end of the end of the, the so-called business day. And, and it's kind of like that afternoon moment where the guys all come together and we sit, we talk, we yep. just bullshit about whatever we're talking about. And that was when some of the best training happened. Oh, absolutely. Some of the most uh, in-depth conversations, uh, no-holds-barred kind of mentality occurred at the at the table over coffee. And, and I love walking into a firehouse that has the rule of the never-ending pot of coffee. It's never empty. There's always a pot on no matter where you go. That's a firehouse you know you can walk into and actually have a little bit of pride. Absolutely. And that's something that last Rick La Chief Lasky talks about all the time. You, mm -hmm. know, you get the senior guys that come out and the retired guys, and he'll tell you, make them sit down, make them have a cup of coffee. Coffee, you know, and, and you know, we still teach, try to teach some of the younger guys, you know, hey, look at that guy. That guy's been here 25, 25 years, yep. and don't ever let me find him with an empty cup of coffee in his hand because yep. that's your responsibility because someday you're going to be that guy and someone's going to do that for oh, you. Oh, and if you don't have that kind of mentality, then not only are you forgetting those that served before you and you're doing them a disservice in the grand scheme of things, but you're also forgetting about the legacy they left behind and what they can offer those firefighters. What's the greatest thing an old firefighter can teach a new firefighter? How to become an old firefighter. How to become an old firefighter. Absolutely. You know, you have that value. 
value. And that's a pride and ownership type aspect too. If you, if you ask me, my personal opinion, Chief Lasky, we're going to introduce a couple of uh, new components to our program. And Chief Lasky is going to be a secondary component. He's a new video we're adding. And tell me about that real quick. What are we looking at adding? Um, what we've done is we, you know, we've got his welcome to the fire service, yep. which is part of our programming. Yep. And I found a snippet of uh, his program of pride and ownership. Uh, from when he actually did it. I think it was back to when he first did it in like 2001. One of the first times he did it. I got and you. it's only like a two minute video, but it's just enough to help reiterate and re-emphasize just how important it is to take care of who you are in the fire service, know who you are, know what you're supposed to be doing, what it means to be a firefighter. And of course, we're tying all of that in with everything that we're, that we're working with with foundational leadership. Yep. And so that being said, what does pride and ownership mean to you? I'm curious. For me, you know, I, I had a very rare opportunity to be actually to meet and work with Chief Lasky uh, in one of our events for Five Bugles. And, and, you know, for me, I have always believed in the best components of the fire service. So I've always had that, that itch, that burn of, of this is me. Mm -hmm. I, I get the privilege of being called firefighter. Mm -hmm. And so I've always, you know, I'm huge on history, fire service history, fire service tradition, understanding oh, yeah. where things come from and who we are as firefighters. And it's yeah. one of the things that I tie into uh, our classes when we're teaching our, our students, especially with our younger students, with our extra credit assignments on fire service history and tradition. We have a huge responsibility to honor our past. Those that came before us define who we are, and we need to understand that. We need to own that, and we need to have pride in the fact that we're a part of the most respected profession in the world. And Lasky tells you all the time, he goes, people are going to invite you into their house at 3 o'clock in the morning in their worst of circumstances, yep. and they will give you their baby. Yeah. And, and they won't think it's twice. Happened. Yes, it's happened. Absolutely. And... <laughs> And, and, you know, and, and when you look at the whole emergency services realm, we're the only truck that people want to see coming That's down true. the street. That's down true. The street. Um, you know, so many components of that tie in. And I, for one, have always taken that as a huge responsibility as to what we represent both to the public, but to the, more importantly, to those that came before us. Mm -hmm. And if we don't understand what that history, what that tradition and what it means, then we have no idea where we are today. And if we can't identify where we are today, how are we going to prepare those for the future moving forward? So in a sense, it's leave it better than you found it, in other words. Absolutely. Absolutely. Understand who we are and where we come from and make it better for the next generation. And I feel like our predecessors did the best they could. And, you know, I think I've, I've mentioned this before, looking at the technological aspects of when we came into the fire service and what our predecessors had before us, and now walking into a 21st century fire service mentality, it's more than just the technology. It's the personalities. It's the individual attitudes. It's the mindset. Why do people join the fire service? Why do people become part of one of the most noble professions out there? Is it for the reason of looking good in front of people? Is it more for the aspect of being a servant? All right, in, in a sense, what, why do people join the fire service? Well, you know, one of the things that I think we need to explore with that is not just asking the why, but it's what's your why. 
I think, to a degree, you could pull a hundred firefighters aside and question them as to why they joined the fire service. Mm -hmm. um, and you may very well get a hundred variations of an answer. But I can tell you that for me, it was always a calling. You know, you go back to our previous generation and for some of them, a good portion of them, it was a natural transition. They were former military, they were, you know, these were, these were our, our veterans that served in times of war in the military style organization. So being into a paramilitary style organization was a very natural transition, mm -hmm. which is something they could handle. Now, today we have to look at when we ask the why, it's a much more complex answer. Because we can look at the research that shows that, you know, for guys like you and me that have been around, we understand the meaning, we understand the history, the tradition, the calling that was the brotherhood of firefighters. But when we look at the research and what we know about the younger generation coming into the fire service today, we can show that from the time they enter their workforce to the time they go to retirement, they have the capacity to be the most productive workforce in history. Mm -hmm. This is because they've grown up multitasking. They've, you know, they've had multiple windows. They, you know, everything was uh, all the technology. So they're, they were huge multitaskers and they're able to do lots of tasks and maintain productivity level. That's great. Unfortunately, the same research indicates to us that those same, that same generation from the time they enter the workforce to the time that they retire, they could change careers, not jobs. Careers. Careers as many as six times. So the challenge that we have is helping them to establish and understand their why. And see, this is a big reason why I promote the mentorship aspect in the fire service, because we've all had mentors. You have mentors, I have mentors. We are mentors in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I look at it most of the time when I talk to these young ones that come in, they've got two, three, four years on the job. It's not a matter of not wanting to promote up. It's not a matter of not wanting to progress. Um, it, it's a matter of not knowing how to get there. Right. How do we forget to educate them on the importance of progression, of, of, of you know, self-fulfillment, of fulfillment in a sense, where, you know, you're going to put into your career what you want in tenfold in return, okay? So like fertilizing your lawn. I love using that concept, all right? That's one of my favorite things. You fertilize the lawn as green as you want it to be, or you can let it die. All right. right. And so here we are, we're talking about foundational leadership. We're talking about the fact that we're looking at growing something from the ground up. I think the yard is a major aspect aesthetically to, in comparison to your career and your career potential, just like the structural components of a house in a sense, which is something that we hit on hard and heavy. Absolutely. Um, and then of course, transitioning into the world of Lasky, who is a great uh, mentor and a great guide in this world of pride and ownership. You know, We have so many people that have laid the foundation for us, uh, getting us to where we're sitting at today. And it's a blessing that we're able to do what we do. You know, and, and one of the things that you and I have talked about many times, and, you know, we absolutely love and respect Lasky. We, we, we love and respect Chief Brunancini, may he rest oh, in peace. Yes. You know, all of these great speakers, all of the people that we know and that we're familiar with, that have been our guiding light. Yep, yep. At the same time that we're talking about educating these young guys, we have to understand that our mentors, the guys that set the chapters and laid the processes for us and, and has helped us to establish our beliefs, they're not going to be around forever. Nope. 
And so, you know, we, one of the things that we've talked about is that, you know, we want to be in that group of people that's there to pick up the torch and carry it and be that guiding light to help the next generation come through. And then when it is our time, that time is limited because we talk about, you know, as the, as the timeline approaches infinity, yeah. our chances of leaving the fire service by death, retirement, or other form of separation, it's 100%. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah. So yeah. our leaders are there. They're working their processes. We continue to learn and absorb from them. Yeah. And hopefully yeah. when our opportunity is, is there, we'll be ready to pick up the torch and carry on that tradition from them. But then now let's talk about the fact that we have created a gap in our profession. Okay, mm -hmm. let's talk about the recession that occurred back in, in the 2008-2009 window, all right? When Absolutely. departments went on hiring freezes, all right? And, and not just hiring freezes, but those retiring you know, they weren't replacing them. Mm -hmm. right? So you had huge gaps, all right, between your senior and your junior people. And then those who could jump ship for other departments that might be paying better because their department isn't giving them raises or wage increases, whatever you want to call it. You know, they're, they're jumping ship and taking all that experience to the next department, but they're leaving a huge void in the department that they vacated. So now we've got a bigger problem where we have seniority and, and junior gaps that are 10, 15, 20 years between Absolutely. top and the bottom. And how do you reinvigorate that mentality of paying it forward when there's such a generational gap? There's no in-between anymore. We're talking guys like you and I that are in our 40s. We're mentoring kids in their 20s. Yep. There, are, there is no middle ground. There is no 30-something no anymore. And, and what creates, I think, you know, age gap is one thing for us to deal with. But I think the bigger issue that we're dealing with now is the experiential grab gap oh yeah because now and we've got several departments and you know i've got a department that's contacted me that needed me to do a fire officer one academy for them because they exhausted their pool of qualified candidates yep the challenge that we're having now is that we have younger officer candidates that have done the education have the academic necessity but they don't have time on the nozzle zero goose egg and, you know, departments that where they used to, you know, you used to have to be a year on the job, complete yep. your probation before you could even go to pump school to learn to start the driver process. Yep. You're, they're sending probies to pump school at six months and people are becoming promoted driver engineers with a year on the department when they haven't even fought a fire. And so, you know, and then officer candidates are being placed in the same situation where, okay, I've got the academic experience and you've changed, you know, what used to be three years on the job before you could even start the acting process. Yep. Now, if you've got three years of experience, period, and you may not even have time on the job with your department, people are becoming promoted lieutenants with no time on the job and no fires. 25 years old, 26 years old, 27 years old. These are the average ages of promotees, you know, people promoting to ranks of lieutenant, captain. 30, 31, 32, promoting to the ranks of battalion chief and above. Well, now you're getting into an upper managerial level. You're no longer a company officer at that point. You're running a battalion. You're running a slew of company officers who are in charge. How do you identify with that? How do you look at a 31-year-old and say, you deserve to be the senior vice president, so to speak? Right. And, and the, the challenge is, you know, we talk about it in paramedic school. 
patients don't read the book. Nope. And those situations that are going to happen when you get into those middle and upper management mm-hmm. components of, you know, lieutenant, captain, battalion chief, or, or whatever your particular rank structure is, you don't, how can you possibly, you know, think about it. You've got to be 21 to get into the fire service, mm-hmm. to go to academy. The average entry age is right around 25, 23 maybe. We've got them starting as young as 18 though, believe okay. it or not. Uh, yeah, I can believe it. But how much, you know, think about it in terms of physical and emotional maturity, the ability to handle people and and deal with situations, to be able to think on the fly in rational scenarios. Yep. Uh, You know, there's a maturity and a processing component that only comes with significant experience. Listen, I, you know, I'm 30 years in the fire service. I, you know, senior acting lieutenant on my last department. And there are still things that throw me. Yep. Uh, The thing that scares me the most with some of these younger lieutenants that are just coming up because they make minimum qualifications and there's an absence of a resource pool that has good, solid experience and mentoring capabilities. What are they going to do when they have that situation that they think is going according to what the tactics book says and then it all falls apart on them? And see, that's where I look at the fact that 19 years in this profession before I promoted a lieutenant, all right, 19 years, I could have promoted in my fifth or sixth year. I could have promoted in my seventh or eighth year. I changed departments mid-career. You know, I went from EMS to fire and full-time into that role. I left the box for the truck. And, you know, we we talk about the fact that, you know, we, we had that renovation period in my life, you know, where I lost my way and, and I had to recover from that, which took about three four years of that, my, that of my life. That sinkhole concept that we yes, talk about. Yes, that sinkhole concept that we're going to discuss. And um, I, I look at where I sit now and, and where I am experience-wise. Well, I am not the brightest, smartest, most tactful guy, or tactful, tactics-wise, you know. I teach it. I preach it. I'm, I'm good with it. The, the reality of it is you're, you're never ready for every situation. And as, as an officer at my level, I always think about the what if potential what if i'm not ready for this what if well the only way to find out is one to do and one the aspect of not making a decision is worse than having you know the wrong decision okay so indecision is the root of all evil so if you fail to make the decision versus making just the wrong decision and trying and pulling back and punting again and and you know trying a different tactic you know, I, I, I just find that as at, at my level at 19, 20, 22 years now in this profession professionally, you know, 25, 26 cadet wise, I feel like it's because of all that experience I'm capable of being uncomfortable, but yet comfortable with not, not being afraid to make a decision right or wrong. And that's where I think we lose that maturity gap. You know, the kids, they're not, they're not comfortable making the wrong decision. They're not comfortable making any decision if it doesn't go with their their flow per se. You know, and and you bring up a really good point there is that when you've got these younger officers, these 25, 26 year olds and the emotional maturity that we, we talk about, one of the things that I think we see quite frequently is they don't want to be challenged. Nope. And they don't want to admit if they make a mistake. Nope. And you know, you just said it, you nailed it, you nailed it right on the head is make a choice. Do something. Ev- evaluate you because once you have that, once you have that bugle on your collar, yep, you don't have the option to not make a choice and let somebody make it for you. You've got to make that decision, and you've got to have the capability and the capacity to be able to evaluate your choices f- 
look at the feedback, yep. make a decision, see what happens with it, and if it means that you gotta step back, reset, and go at it a different way, so be it. And, and you know, the, one of the concerns that I have with that is that these younger folks, they don't necessarily have that processing capability. And God forbid, I don't wanna see, none of us wants to see somebody get hurt or worse. But then it, it comes down to promoting for the right reasons, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, th th there's promoting, and then there's promoting for selfish reasons. All right, Correct. And, and there are plenty of good promotees out there, people who are promotable, uh, that, that have worked hard, that have sacrificed, you know, and I don't think anything good comes easy. But then you have the individuals that do it for the wrong reason, and then they become the example of what bad leadership is. You know, one of the one of the best questions, when I completed my acting lieutenant training, one of the best questions that was that was asked of me is, what did I learn from my training? Mm -hmm. And I answered, said, you know, during my time, I got to work with all of the lieutenants on the department. And what I can tell you is that I learned from some of them what I want to be as an officer, and I learned from some of them what I won't be yep. as an officer. You know, uh, I believe it's Jocko Willenick who talks about the fact that, you know, extreme ownership is, is a vital vital t a tactic, a tool to deploy as a leader because you got to own what you do, all right? And if you don't own your decisions, your mistakes, then you're going to lose your credibility. You're going to lose your ability to lead. You're going to lose any aspect that surrounds that, that stability, that foundation you have as a leader. So you've got to be able to own up to your mistakes and be able to step forward and say, yeah, I fucked up. Guess what? I'm going to have to try it differently. I'm sorry, you know, accept it, move forward. And if we can't do that as a profession, if we can't do that as officers, what good are we leading people into battle? Because that's what we're doing, essentially. We show up on a scene. Any one of these scenes could be the end of our day, mm -hmm. the end of our life. Absolutely. Right? So we got to be ready for that. We got to embrace that. We got to be able to understand right, wrong, or indifferent, we're doing what we have to do to survive at the end of the day. You know, when we talk about foundations of leadership you know what do we we ask people all the time what are you looking for in a leader and and we get you know we we talk about in our program about uh management versus leadership oh uh, we, we you know but then i'm going to say this not to interrupt you but I, I feel like we get the status quo answer too often right okay what are you looking for in a leader i want to look at somebody that can establish and maintain credibility with me that I find that I can trust them in their decision makings. They're not afraid to make mistakes. They don't. They don't claim to have all the answers, you know. And one of the, you know, and I talk about it all the time with folks. I said, you know, the most effective leaders don't have all the answers. In fact, we like to see leaders that don't have all the answers. They want it because we want to know they're human. Yeah. Let them show us that. Hey, you know what? I don't have that answer, but this guy knows a lot about it. Why don't we ask him and get his feedback? And being able to build in on that group, and again, going back to pride and ownership. You know, how do you establish pride and ownership within your crew, within your organization, within your department? Give them parts that empower them to feel like they're part of the group. I feel like the greatest role in the fire service is that of the company officer. And I say that now with the experience and the ability to, to reflect on those words because as a company officer, I can affect the most significant change 
in attitude and behavior and approach. And I have that ability to help manipulate the day for the better because my purview is simply those who are with me. Okay, I am responsible for my station, my crew, my apparatus. And if I can shield them from the negativity that exists outside of our world, then I can do the most good as a company officer. And the ripple effect can take place. A lot of company officers, friends of mine ask me, how do we make change happen? Well, change has to come small and incrementally, okay? You can't just jump into change like that and expect right. it to take effect. It's trial and error. Absolutely. And you know, and then it's celebrating the small victories. Yep. And when you have a failure, you embrace that failure and, you, and to a degree, you almost celebrate that failure just a little bit because look back over the course of your career. You said 19, 20, 22 years. Where did you have your best lessons learned from the things you did right or the things you messed up? Always wrong because even when they went right, there was still an element of wrong that occurred. Absolutely. And that's okay. why we do things like after action reviews and, you know, and the lessons learned aspects and the hot washes after yep. calls. But, yep. you, know, th you, know, you know, going back to what you said about the company officer being the best position, they are the representative of the administration. They have the opportunity to, to carry out the marching orders and, and help enact the vision of our yep. senior leadership. Yep. But at the same time, they also have the responsibilities to represent their crews. And, and take care of their crews and help get them involved and make them feel like they're, they're part of something. Yep. And, and that element of that effect of what we can do as a company officer can make or break what's gonna happen with our crew members' career. Holy shit, it sounds like mentoring. Oh my gosh, it's mentoring. What, what a concept. What a, what a neat thought process, Did we just right? dance around the mentoring aspect of the fire service? Oh, we waltzed with that bitch. I think we did. We I like it. it. Yes. So, a couple of exciting things then. I want to I share with you guys. Uh, Chief Miller uh, and I have spoken. And those of you who don't know Chief Miller, uh, Chief Miller is a, is a big uh, uh, guy in our world as far as the world of Instagram and social media. And he's a, uh, a proud representative of his brand. And he's decided to uh, bring uh, the Can Man Radio Show into his family. And we're really excited about that. We're joining some great podcasts, you know, Ryan Pennington being one of them from West Virginia, uh, Flow Invent, uh, the Anchor Point Podcast, uh, Squad 2, I'm trying to think, the Thin Red Line. I mean, there's just a, a, a family of awesome emerging leaders in this group of, uh, of, of podcasters and, and brothers in, in battle. And, you know, it's, it's an honor to be a part of that. And I want to thank Chief Miller for recognizing the good work that uh, we do uh, between the Can Man, the Cornerstone Group, Still in Box, and of course, Five Bugles Institute, and how we, we work to promote good education, not necessarily the, 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 the frilly education aspect, but the down and dirty leadership aspect. Love the down and dirty. But, you know, and tomorrow we're, we're going to uh, work with uh, Edgewater, and I'm really excited about that. I think this is going to be a great opportunity for us. Uh, we had a great dinner with them tonight. What an awesome dinner. And, you know, we got to talk a little bit. We got to, well, shoot, we got to talk a little bit about everything. Uh, talk about a little bit of everything. There we go. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the things that, you know, that we really hit because we've We've taken so much out of our first presentation at New Smyrna and 
was able, we were able to augment and improve it just a little bit to make yep. tomorrow's presentation that much better. And I had some great, great questions come to me tonight about first responder stress and PTSD. So I got to throw a save the date out. Okay. Got to throw it. save the save Do the it. date out. I know Do we're it. a little over. No, no, that's um, fine. But uh, you know, there have been so many questions that were asked about uh, the new presumptive legislation for the cardiac stuff, the yep. mental health and and, and first and uh, stress type stuff, uh, PTSD. Friday, January tenth, uh, at the uh, Homewood Suites. Uh, by Hilton in Newport, or excuse me, in Port Ritchie, Florida, over there on the West Coast. Not Newport, but not Port Newport Ritchie. Ritchie. Port Ritchie. Port Ritchie. Big difference. There's okay. A, yes. You've got Newport. You've got Port Ritchie. There's only one Homewood Suites. Though, like, so. like England and New England. There you go. Okay, fair enough. W- without going across a pond. It's oh, awesome. there Lord. might be a bridge involved. That's I don't what I'm know. saying. There's got to be water. But uh, I've got. We've got Five Bugles Institute is going to be hosting a presumptive legislation and training seminar. Jason Fox mm-hmm. of Oliver and Fox Law, he helped write the presumptive legislation. Okay. He is going to be doing a one-day seminar for us uh, where we're hoping it's going to be free, working on that with some sponsors potentially, but he's going to come in from nine to, from nine to four, from, and from nine to 10 that morning, he's going to talk about general compensation and cancer. From 10 to 12, he's going to talk about the presumptive legislation for cardiac and mental health. Mm-hmm. We're going to have lunch provided. And then the big hit from 1 to 4, we're going to have a panel discussion where the audience can do a full Q&A. So they're going to get a not just an opportunity to sit and learn about the presumptive legislation that exists, but they're going to be able to interact with this attorney and not have to pay for it in a sense. You, this guy charges three hundred bucks an hour. <laughs> How much more could you ask for? And and he only works with first responders. He is an absolute advocate yeah. for first responders, and and he is coming in to do this seminar for us where he's doing three hours of block education. Outstanding. And then he's going to have people that, including himself, yeah. as the as the attorney, so people can ask those legal questions. One of the biggest questions I get, I talk to guys about, they say, hey, I've, uh, I've been a tobacco user. I'm still using it. Can I quit and eventually get get coverage, get covered under the heart and lung, or am I completely discontinued? Correct. Five, Five years. years. Five years of clean reports. But... That's what it takes. And now you're going to get to, he's going to bring in, he's got himself, and then he's talking about bringing in four other people that have had their cases completed that have been through all the presumptive legislation headaches. Wow. And won their cases. And so this panel is going to be available for, to, to be able to do a whole Q&A. How we're, do they register for this? This is going to be coming up. We're going to have more information. There's going to be a save the date. We're probably going to have an Eventbrite. Uh, type of thing to where they can sign up. So uh, the, sa- the save the date is January 10th, and uh, we'll have more information to follow. So more podcasts and more communications. I that's like what it. we do. I like it. So it's been a wonderful night, and I want to thank my uh, partner in crime, Mark Goldfeder, for being here this evening. With it's us. been a blast. We must do this more often. I like it. The Cornerstone Group is happy to serve. We're happy to educate. We're happy to come to you. If you want to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at Five Bugles Institute on Instagram or at www.fivebuglesinstitute.com. Mark at fivebuglesinstitute.com is the direct email. And that's the direct email. And then you can always reach out to me at jayliska at gmail.com if you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns. I want to thank you again for joining us for this just over 30 minutes of the Camden Radio Show. It's been a blast. Online training with the Can Man Radio Show.
Did you remember to train your probie today? The Can Man knows. He knows everything. When that 2 a.m. lift assist drops, the Can Man will be thinking of you in his dreams.